0: Welcome to Town Square. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. And as we say every week, this conversation can include you if you'd like to join us. The phone lines are open. 941-3689 is the number if you're on Oahu. And from the neighbor islands or if you're listening to us someplace else on the live stream perhaps, you can get to us at 877-941-3689. Well, the nice speeches are over. The music, the smiles... It's time for the legislature to get down to business. In a year with shrinking revenues and a growing to-do list, the choices lawmakers make will brand the session. With Hawaii far from the change of power in Washington, the state has an opportunity to show what it values on the home front. Tonight, Colin Moore and, and Neil Milner again join us to consider the issues we'll talk about and take apart over the next four months. Colin Moore is the director of the Public Policy Center at UH and associate professor of political science. HPR's contributing editor, civil beat columnist, and former UH political science professor Neil Milner also join us. Both of them have their lists. We hope that you have yours. Call us at 941 3689 or 877 941 3689. We want to know what you're paying t- attention to, as uh, we have now just started the 2017 Legislative Session. Welcome to both of you.
1: Pleasure to be here, here, Beth Ann.
0: So let's talk a little bit about kind of the character of the opening of the legislature this time. I mean, walking around there yesterday, it seemed really kind of tame, pretty calm. There weren't any, um, you know, protests. There weren't people walking around angry or shy. I mean, everybody had an agenda, and clearly people were walking around to see their their favorite lawmakers, but it just seemed to have a rather subdued tone to it. And meanwhile, you have, you know, the heads of both chambers coming out with their wish lists and talking, and it seemed that they were kind of, you know, not necessarily on the same page with a lot of what we were going to be looking at over the next couple of months. But clearly, when you when you hear from the, the finance chairs and, and from Ways and Means Chair, uh, Senator Takuda, it seems like they're more in sync with each other, at least that's how it appeared on this end. What do the two of you make of, of how the legislature started?
1: Well, money is going to be, as it often is, but particularly this year, the major issue. I think everyone at the ledges sort of has that feeling that, you know, you think you have $1,000 more in your bank account than you do, and you realize that you forgot to pay a bill. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the Council of Revenues, uh, the projections are, are down for the state budget, um, the uh, announcement from the pension fund, the employees' retirement system, you know that they have performed very, very poorly, um, and the gap we knew was there is even greater, um, all of that, along with collective bargaining coming down the, the pipe that the governor didn't budget in his own budget, um, means that there's going to be a lot of constraints, and it's not very much fun. I mean, legislators like to implement new programs. They like to do things. And if you don't have money and you have to tell everybody, no, 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 we're going to cut... Um, you know, that that doesn't lead to a very joyful legislative session.
0: We've kind of been in this place, you know, before, even even worse. But what what did you take away from it? Well,
2: I think Colin is right. And I think what's happened is that it made a kind of pessimistic turn for this legislative session. And I think that's going to be carried out in terms of how people react. It isn't simply that we have money problems. It's that these money problems the extent to which the we have money problems were unanticipated. There's a big gap between what the Council of Revenues uh, had projected and what they projected the most recently. A big gap. Uh, there's the gap for the pension fund is huge. Now, we don't have to pay that off immediately, but there was a sense after the last session that we'd grasp, we'd grasp onto that. The state was gonna be disciplined to put more money in to pay off the long-term debt that is there for all kinds of reasons. So the pension fund, uh, the, the the debt, the money we owed the, the fund to make the pension payments. I think because those things turned around so suddenly that it's really gonna affect the way people, uh, the, the way the legislators react, they're gonna be much more, Ang- anxious, and I think a little bit frightened, and, and much more cautious in terms of what they're going to do. Just, just to add some to, some numbers, so
1: people understand the scale of this. Um, you know, the state basically has 155 million dollars less to spend than they thought they did. And the pension fund shortfall is now at a a cool $12.4 billion shortfall.
2: A billion here, a billion there.
1: You know, places us somewhere slightly above Illinois. Well, we were were ninth. We were
2: the ninth worst state in terms of the pension thing. Now, we've actually – what was interesting is that we actually – Illinois has been stalemated, partly (laughs) because of court decision and partly that there's some very little room to to maneuver, and partly because there just hadn't been any cooperation. I think what's – What's a little bit frightening to the legislature is they actually thought they made a step forward here. Well, felt the they felt governor... they had
0: momentum yeah, moving well, in that direction. They were paying and off
2: the, the money. It yeah. kind of
0: came <laughs> to a screeching yes, halt. Now, we've got a Council on Revenues, uh, another uh, meeting that's going to happen middle of March, just about the time that we're going to see bills cross over. It'll be interesting to see what happens at that point, too. One thing, though, that we haven't yet talked about, this is the first time in a very, very long time that we have – all Democrats sitting in the Senate. We have a trifecta with the Senate, the House, uh, you know, we so much controlled by, uh, and certainly the governor, controlled by, by Democrats. And we have a very different scene in Washington, always having sort of, you know, the, the, what's the specter of what may happen with a Trump administration hanging there. And yet Hawaii has the, the time to be able to look at itself and to be able to see how it wants to be different than whatever policies may come out of Washington, at least policies that it has some control over.
2: Well, legislatures never really have enough time to look at itself in the way you say, and I think it's a double problem now because of the timing. It's really not clear. They, they may start to think about some things that they may have to do down the road, but part of this is really going to be what the Republican Congress and what Donald Trump end up doing as far as, let's say, the way the welfare state operates. Right, Medicaid especially. Well, that's right, especially Medicaid. It's a little early for that, although they really have to start th- – th- it's, it's not enough. They don't have enough worries that this is going to be one they have to start to consider.
0: All right, we've got a caller on the line unless you want to add something quickly, Colin? No, let's that's, go to the caller. Okay, let's go to our caller. And if you'd like to be next, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. It's the time for us to all talk about what we'll be talking about in the next three months, four months or so. We want to hear what you're paying attention to this legislative session. Chris calling us from Pearl City. Aloha, welcome to Town Square.
3: Yeah, hi. Um, I I think that we have an interesting problem that will take some careful legislating to get us out of. Uh, The the state just completed a a three-year study that found that there were 100,000 illegal rentals in Hawaii and that 50,000 of them were on Oahu, which if you calculate that we are two people per home uh, on Oahu, that's 10% of our housing. But I think we're much higher than two people per home. I think we're closer to four people per home, which would put us at 20% of the housing on Oahu, potentially being illegally rented, While our uh, governor and um, mayor talk about us having a housing crisis, but these illegal rentals are not being stopped. And this is also, I believe, contributing to the rise in home prices, where people know they can get the money for these illegal rentals. And so, uh, homes are asking, you know, buyers, sellers are asking for more money to sell homes. And then people either have to use these illegal rental services Mm -hmm. to be able to purchase a home or they have to commit to paying more money and really uh, putting a lot of downward pressure on people of Hawaii and uh, on the homeless problem.
1: Yeah, thank, Paul wants to answer yeah sure. Thanks for your call, Chris. I mean, this is one of these perennial issues. I mean, we we saw this in a kind of a similar way with the Airbnb debate of, of, of a bill that, that Governor Ige ultimately vetoed. And I think it's, it's a tricky policy issue because you don't actually want to discourage people from renting properties. Um, you know, that that increasing supply obviously lowers price and you want to be renting to local people probably more than you want to be renting to tourists or not renting your house at all and just you know, hoping land values will continue to go up. So I actually – maybe maybe Neil can correct me. I, I didn't see anything or at least any of the big announcements in the start of the session yesterday um, on working on this issue. But I s- expect some related package of policies will probably emerge to talk about it.
0: Neil?
4: Now, all right I was going to
2: add is that this thing has been such a significant and controversial issue for so long uh, more so at the at the county level yeah. because it involves people who are making money off vacation rentals, and we're not talking about uh, blood sucking capitalists. Either. No, we're talking we're, about people who are using this as a way yeah, of being able to maintain income. their house. Yes. Yeah, that, that's In right. In many cases, some so, people are using it. to And make I assume that's order. what he meant. I assume that's what Chris meant by illegal rentals. Right. Uh, that the, if they're illegal, if they don't have the requirements and the, and the registration that you need for a vacation rental.
0: All right, Chris. Thanks very much for the call. If you'd like to join us tonight on Town Square, the phone lines are open, and we want to hear from you. really want to know what are you paying attention to, maybe feeling a little bit of fatigue. It was a, whole, you know, a horrendous time coming through the last couple of months, and and maybe, you know, you just kind of turning a blind eye to the legislature. Are you? Or is there really something that's taking your attention? We want to hear. 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you call us from the neighbor islands. It's that time again.
1: I wanted to, uh, if I might, jump back to what we were talking about earlier—the the Democrat-only Senate. Good, let's um, pick that because up. we didn't we didn't quite hit on that, and that's, uh, you know, th- this is unique for uh, uh, the nation, I believe, right now to have a chamber of the legislature that is controlled exclusively uh, by um, uh, or both of your chambers uh, are the Senate controlled exclusively by the the Democrats. And so, what what's the effect of Sloan's absence? And one thing to watch for is the possibility of the emergence of a real a real splinter faction or an, a public opposition group among the Democrats. The Senate is sort of notorious for not having a lot of public debate, deciding everything behind closed doors. You know, broke up in their their variously named, colorful factions, but um, but not having a formal opposition group. And so maybe. As a result of not having Sloan around anymore, there will be the institutionalization of a um, a group of Democrats who are more willing to disagree publicly with the leadership.
2: I think. And th- thing, anything
0: that oh, I want to ask both of you if you see any of the dissidents that we used to well, talk about in the way that you used to say. So what does that mean? Well,
2: first of all, talking about dissidents in this state is like talking about fairy dust because nobody in the legislature wants to talk about. It. I wrote yeah. this column last year, this is essentially to well, say. Why I'm asking it? Right, the legislators. I said, man up. Tell us what these. What these right. caucuses mean, I got critical comments saying you don 't understand the legislature and they need these kind of norms, so I mean never mind that I disagree. The point is that there are a lot of very informal pressures not to do that and Sam Sloan, the fact that you now have one less republican i 'm not so sure that 's enough. there clearly are factions, and I think the way that they, the way they come up really depends upon what the issues are, uh, but we have to understand how much reluctance there is to admit that ever – something that anybody who has ever worked with a group of a size like that knows, that there is diversity in the group. The College of Cardinals has a diversity within the group. But, but much like the College None of, of Cardinals, is. people are loath to be That's associated right. That's with, right. with any faction, which well, really is an, an extraordinary thing. Oh, yes, although the College of Cardinals is more willing to, to <laughs> publicly – uh, admit to dissent. Yeah, but the
0: thing about having Sam Sloan in the Senate was the fact that you could always count on him to poke at something. Oh no,
2: I think that I. I and we mean, don't really have that. No, now. no, that's right. I, I didn't mean to, to demean Sam Sloan's importance because he was important in lots of ways. First of all, he was a living, breathing talking, ideological Republican. And even though I don't share much of his ideas, he actually had ideas that he would express in public, which is not what most of the Republican Party uh, does here, as you could see during the Trump election when they sort of disappeared from the face of the earth, although they ended up voting for him. He um, He was also a gadfly in a good sense. The fact that he was on every committee Uh, It meant that he really did see things and he didn't talk about them. And I think in a sense that's a loss, but it still is only one person. Um, He was a Republican who was willing to uh, dissent. The Republicans in the House, they uh, have taken a a strategy that I understand, although it doesn't necessarily work, which is to be more accommodative except for one or two there uh, where they don't do that.
1: But but the reason this is important is not just disagreement for disagreement's yeah. sake. So people like Neil and I can talk about it, and it's it's that by ha- by forcing that public disagreement. Yes. It, there's certainly plenty of disagreement. It's the public aspect of That's it. That's right. Then it reveals what's really at stake. What are the what are the true fights in the legislature? Because without that, it's like interpreting shadows on the wall. I mean, there's just no you, you don't know. You know, is this bill really going to pass? What are the actual objections? You know, are we really talking about death with dignity or is the major issue something else? And if it's all decided behind closed doors, it's almost impossible for outsiders to
2: tell what's at stake.
0: Which shuts out the public, too, from engaging in the process or even thinking that they can engage in the process, despite everybody saying they should engage in the process. Well, and
2: since the the way the process works here, where everything gets pushed to the end and then there's these hearings at the end – even under the best of circumstances you really don't know what what goes on there's there's a lot of studies about how factions work in state legislators state legislatures when you have one party there's really basically two kind we can't tell which this what there is here one is <laughs> really one is ideological liberals versus conservatives and the other is more personalistic it's based around the, uh, power if if they're more likely to talk in terms of Personal relationships, although not very much. You never hear them talk about conservative Democrats versus versus liberal Democrats. And it's as I say, it's just indicative of how strong the norm is not to not to talk about those kinds of things.
0: If you'd like to join the conversation, we are talking about this legislative session. It's a very different one, not just because of the change in Washington, but also the fact, as we've just been talking about, we have a Senate now that has all Democrats in it. What does that mean for being able to understand some of the issues, understand some of the factions, what factions might even be? of In this this case, we don't really know that much, but yet, if it's being talked about and done in, in secret then that shuts a lot of us out from the process. Want to hear how you are looking at this legislative session and what bills and what ideas, what issues are taking your attention, 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. And we're going to go to a caller now, Michelle, calling us from Kaneohe. Aloha, Michelle. Welcome to Town Square. Yeah, hi.
5: Thank you. Can you guys hear me okay? We can. Okay, great. Because I uh, wasn't able to just plug in my cell phone to my car, so I'm I'm hoping it's all it's all good. We can hear you. What I wanted to ask about was rail. I heard some issues going with taxes, and then some people came up with some, some more new ideas. Like, oh, let's put it at grade and forget the rest of the um, uh, overhead. Um, you know, overhead rail putting the cars at grade, and I'm I'm just banging my head against the wall like, you know what, we basically knew that once this tax happened, it was going to end up being going into perpetuity. Our grandkids will be using walkers by the time this thing is up and running the rate things are going.
0: You're talking okay, about the, the G.E.T. surcharge.
5: Or is this just going to be another one of those hot-button issues? And I'll take my answer off, off air. All
0: right, Michelle, thanks very much. Okay, so we're talking about the G.E.T. surcharge, the idea that the sunset should be removed and that it will be used in part for helping not just to maybe fix it, I mean make, make the rest of it happen, but also for maintenance.
2: Well, there are two things you have to understand about rail. There is no feasible alternative Uh, present now to finishing the whole thing. There isn't even anything close. And there is no feasible income stream other than the possibility of of taxes. And everything else that's been talked about has been, let's say, in a highly speculative manner. So big surprise, the legislature gets the fact that this this is a large income stream. What the city and county are trying to do is to get the tax renewed, to, to, to increase it for a longer period in of time. Well, actually. maybe in yeah. perpetuity. That's uh, what the legislature wants, I think, out of this, is some coloration because they're very angry at the way the city and county handled it the first time. Right. Why they're would, asking for the skin and the you, game what, from yeah. the city Well, that, I don't think – they felt that they didn't get the, the good numbers. Um, but in the second thing, it, it appears as if the legislature has kind of – at least what you hear now – kind of recognized – that if they don't take the responsibility for funding this, that it's not going to happen. This has really turned into a too-big-to-fail operation. I
1: think that's exactly right. And and you can see them struggling with it because the proposal here is not just to dedicate this extension merely to rail, but also for other transportation improvements so it can sort of be sold as this omnibus transportation excise tax increase, which is, you know, I think a a political strategy here because it's probably the only way they can – they can convince the public, even though I think everyone knew, as the caller Michelle suggests, that this was going to be in perpetuity. That they can they can repackage it slightly. You know, this is the new and improved neighbor GET. island. Yeah, neighbor island. The
2: neighbor island. That's right.
0: But the idea that. They want more coming from the city. When we know that the way it was quote unquote packaged to happen was either through federal what was the combination of federal funds and, and the extension on, on the GET. So there's gonna to have to be some, you know, reimaging of how this looks and selling that to folks and letting them understand that without it it's probably not gonna happen.
2: I think part of that is And I I don't mean to say this to demean it. Part of this is a face-saving gesture on the part of the legislature. They are really between a rock and a hard place. And trying to find something out of this that reduces the, the, the negative impact on them. And one of the ways that you do it is... Is to, uh, to say so? Well, you <laughs> shift f- fiscal responsibility. Yeah. There's no other place to shift blame anymore. <laughs> I can't think of where else. I don't know the 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 uh, adoption animals at the Humane Society. There there really isn't anywhere it, else to do it. And it's been a long time
1: since we've had a, a poll on rail, but the most recent numbers demonstrate that people have pretty much resigned themselves to the and idea and that and this thing to needs to be built Lama. and it needs to be built all the way to yeah. Ala So I don't think voters are going to be happy about this, but. Rather than the first time this was this was proposed, the initial extension, I think most people will say, "All right, we're so far into this, we've we've got to fund it all the way, and this there's there's no al- other alternative," as Neil suggests.
0: The idea, though, of having toll roads, which we heard from Joe Suki well, yesterday, I mean, that idea was floated way, way, way back when. I think you know Cliff Slater talked about that, the hot lanes and other things that these ideas that keep resurging. In the face of, of having rail, yeah, hit to- toll it's, roads. It's Speaker Suki's
1: idea here for toll roads isn't a new idea, and certainly there are plenty of toll roads uh, on the mainland, on the East Coast in particular. And economists like toll roads because you're, you know you're paying for your usage. Uh, my experience is that voters who aren't. Accustomed to toll roads, like we're not here, uh, hate toll roads. So I don't see this going anywhere. And, you know, the, the other possibility would be to propose some sort of specialized lane you get access to. They call them Lexus lanes. Uh, hot uh, lanes. Or hot lanes, hot yeah, lanes, is yeah. the official That's term. Right. Uh, I can't imagine there being the political will to establish something like
2: that. There aren't any. I mean, there's no room. That's one. Yeah, I mean, well, if you exactly. Could, yeah, if you could do a hot lane, you, you probably would have other alternatives in regard to busing and maybe even regard
4: to light rail.
0: All right, we're going to go now to John calling us from Kailua. Uh, Aloha, John, thanks for your patience.
4: Hey, um um Beth I, I I've called you in the past and uh you know I have a couple of pet peeves here uh with with the with, with the Hawaii legislature, okay?
0: With the Hawaii and, legislature? We, we it just your phone just blipped a little bit. I want to make sure that we heard what you said.
4: I yeah, uh, okay. um I I and I'll, I'll I'll try to keep it uh short and sweet, okay? Sure. Uh uh fir- first of all, um uh, Governor Auggie uh, still has done nothing about marijuana uh, dispensaries, and not that that's one of my major issues. Homelessness is, is one of my issues. They're cutting back on the spaces and in the you know in the uh, shelters, and and for a good reason because people need more space, but they're not doing anything to compensate for it, you know. But my main gripe about the Hawaii legislature is, and I've been here 15 years, I'm a Halley from the mainland, okay? And is, they just don't seem to have the guts to do anything. Every, they talk, That's a pretty talk, sweeping talk, they show up, statement they, there. They show up every day, uh, and, and they look good, and they pose for pictures, and blah, 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 you know? But if anybody comes up with a good idea, you know, then... They put it into a committee and and let it die, and that's that's the way I see the Hawaii legislature, and I, I and, and that's why Hawaii is is a third world country. And okay, um,
0: okay, I got, I'm going to just stop you there for a second, John, because yes, there yes, there are yes, a lot definitely. of people who yes. are looking around saying, no, this is not a third world country, but it does have certain peculiarities or ways of being, and and I think that Colin Moore wants to answer you on some of the points that you made.
1: Well, sure. So so the first thing is. Most state legislatures do this, right? There's a lot of ideas floated. Here in particular, actually, it's not a shortage of ideas. It's just the difficulty of, of getting shepherding those bills and through And also the, the length of
0: time that we have for our session.
1: Uh, and we have a very short – I mean, there's a lot of – Neil and I could talk about the institutional reasons this is the case. But I wanted to address your two specific points, and the first being uh, – Medical marijuana dispensaries. I mean, this isn't an issue because it's already been passed. It's going to come up, I think, in front of the legislature this year. But I will tell you, for anyone who's curious, uh, that the implementation process is ongoing. I, I know this because I'm part of the Legislative Oversight Working Group. Um, there have been challenges um, in getting everything right so the dispensaries can open, but the Department of Health is working very hard on it, and I think people can expect to see those dispensaries pretty soon. Um, The second is homelessness, again, a perennial issue. Um, I I do want to highlight one thing that I think will get a bit of attention this session, which is Senator Josh Green's proposal to classify homelessness as a medical condition, uh, which is pretty creative because it would allow the state to draw from Medicaid funds, um, which is a huge pile of money uh, to do this. So I think in general, I'd say they're they're getting a bit more creative about this. I mean it went from kind of being an issue everyone wanted to ignore uh, to an issue that now has you know people are working on seriously. It's very challenging. Um, and also becoming a bit more creative in, in how they're addressing it.
0: All right. Thanks very much for your call, John. Going to move on now to Grace calling us from Curtistown. Aloha Grace, welcome to Town Square.
6: Aloha. I have lived in Hawaii since 1972, so I've been here a long time. And I'm on the Big Island. And what kind of fries my beans is that this extra tax paying for the rail, it affects us on the neighbor islands. And then we don't even get, you know, all of our hotel tax accommodation, which stresses the counties for their repairs and things like that. I lived on Oahu for 20 years, the big island for 20 years. And, man, I'm watching the prices go up like crazy over here for everything that gets shipped over here. And I know that perpetuity tax is ridiculous. I used to live in New York City, so I know what subways are. I used to live in Chicago. I know what L's are. And I know that this rail... Like the other woman said, we're not going to get it come through until our grandchildren are in walkers. Okay. And all I'm saying is that I don't like being taxed big time for something that's not helping me at all over here.
0: But you're really not.
2: Well, that's true. Let me let me just speak to that last point, how you feel about rail. Is, I mean, I don't have a good answer. I can't predict any more than you can about how well they work. New York and, and Chicago systems. I loved are, it. Well, yeah, I, I use I use the New York one quite a bit. You're right, and, and Chicago is an old low tech system that works very well, and that's part of what makes it work. The thing, look, what what Hawaii and the neighbor islands have uh, is really not that different from what exists in every state in the country. That is, there's it's a rural urban split. There's some kind of split where people think they're not getting the fair share. From a kind of philosophical standpoint, one of the ways to think about it is that if we only were willing to pay as individuals for things that benefit us directly, it isn't possible for a polity to operate. It isn't possible for a political system to operate. Now, I'm not, when I say this, I don't want to say that your impulse is wrong, because it's a good impulse to see who's getting what. But if you start thinking about uh, just what you're getting and what you're not. Let me give you an example, I think, from, from, the, na- from the Big Island. The Big Island for many years was deplete, depleted of social services. You didn't have the, the social services that you needed there. If I were to say, it's not helping me directly because you don't have enough social works there, I would consider myself kind of bereft, kind of not a good citizen. And we all have that impulse, but I think we have to be careful on how we use it. Well, I don't,
6: I don't, I don't. You know, I did not mind the initial taxing go through. Okay. Yeah. It's perpetuity.
2: Sure. Well, that's the yeah. I understand that. Yeah. I understand that exactly. We're stuck with something that's too big to fail, and whether they call it perpetuity, they're calling it perpetuity because they. I think part of that is that to make it more like this fund that we talked about, this would be a regular transportation right. fund. But I, I, the other I, I, side of it is when you say perpetuity, it means forever. You're stuck. Ha, right. Yeah, you're stuck. And the
1: bulk of the money is still going to rail. Oh, yeah. are you know, going to throw sure. a little extra to the but transportation I'm, department. And, and the
6: thing, uh, you know, it, it it's not a matter of being unfair, okay? um Because, you know, we pay through our weight tax for our cars mm-hmm. and things like that, you know. To, Cover
2: everybody, but the, uh, the man. No, I, and I, I wouldn't yeah, argue I, with your impulse at all. This is a legislative nightmare because yeah. there are two things involved here one of which is raising taxes, which yes. even the most progressive legislature doesn't like to do, the yeah. second thing is that you're stuck with this big fat turkey. Yeah. um yeah, I, that I can eat that, yeah, uh, that you can't eat well <laughs> you, can, turkey, you can come and visit no us, the crazy. good news is the turkey doesn't run away from you because it's yeah. not moving no seriously it's it, it just
6: breaks down because it's Well be it worked. doesn't other than the fact that you can
2: see that that a roll that they have on television of the car running out of the uh, out of the the maintenance yard, they show that one every once in a while. Over, beautiful. And yeah, over, the, that, over and over. Yeah, over and over again, that. yeah. So oh, I was well, <laughs> just trying to have a little
6: levity. Yeah, well, yeah, Grace, no. thank you. We, we
0: appreciate <laughs> and, it. But, you know, she does bring up a point, though, when, when she's talking about, you know, the, the weight tax and yeah. registration fees. You know, chances are we're going to see that come back again,
1: too. Hmm. Well, that's right, in part because of the switch to electric cars. Um, you know, the, part of our roads are funded through people buying gas, and the more people who shift over to electric cars, the less people are buying gas, the less people are paying that tax. Um, and so I think we are going to see a return to uh, revisiting this session some of these bills about um, you know, increasing car registration or a variety of other packages to fund the transportation department. You know, Grace brought up another point, too. I mean, in talking about this classic Oahu neighbor island divide, which is there's always this bill. Um, or a proposal from the neighbor islands to increase the share that the counties get of the tourism revenue, right? right. It's capped D- at $103 million, yeah. million dollars right now. Um, what, the, what the Hawaii State Association of Counties would like and what they're proposing this session is a 55-45 split, that 55% would go to the state, 45% would go to the counties, and they think that'll help the neighbor islands that have pretty robust tourism economies.
0: All right. Well, then mayors are scheduled to get together pretty soon. We'll hear more from them as as that meeting completes. Would like to hear from you though, as we're now into session, and obviously everybody's got their their pet issues and their pet peeves. What are yours? yours? What are you paying attention to this time around? Nine four one three six eight nine or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. And and Grace also just wanted to mention that this morning on the conversation, we spoke with Tom Yamachika from the Tax Foundation of Hawaii, who had a number of things to say about tour about uh, transportation taxes. So you might want to go into the archive and just give that little bit a listen. You can find it at hawaiipublicradio.org. Going to go off now to Nicole calling us from Honolulu. Aloha. Nicole, aloha. thanks for your patience.
5: Oh, aloha. Hi there. Hi. Uh, so kind of uh, touching on the rail tax issue, we know that it'll probably be funded by an increase in the GET, which is really hits low-income and working-class families hardest. Um, I've seen some studies that show that it's like 10 times more of a low-income family's income is spent on the G.E.T. than high-income families. So there are some groups around the legislature, I talked to them yesterday, that are interested in finding ways to make the tax burden more fair so that working class people and struggling families can actually pay their bills, pay their rents and stuff
0: like that. But it doesn't become a regressive tax for those who can least afford it. Yeah, there exactly. Is a, there is
2: an easy way to do it. It's easy administratively, it's hard politically, and that is you make it part of the income tax and you have a progressive system so that they pay more or you give more rebates to on the basis of income on or you on the, don't tax
1: you goods like that. You know, yeah you don't, don't tax which
2: a lot of states do. We've never been interested in doing that here. I think The legislature is is not about to take on that kind of task. That's well, and there's always this
1: the the response to this. There's a creative one, kind of a unique to Hawaii response to that, which is we shouldn't touch our GET tax because the tourists pay a huge percentage of it. So yes, it's a regressive tax, but a lot of that burden is shifted over. Shifted over, and we heard that yesterday too. I mean. I'm the, not going to evaluate the merit of that claim, but that, that is the classic response.
2: I, I'm not sure how good that makes people who are one paycheck right, away exactly. from being out on the street, <laughs> you know it, which right. is a lot of us feel, but I guess uh Yeah, and it
5: still sounds like most DET is paid by people here, even though like... Well, I think that's
2: nice. right. Oh, sure, sure. As, as much as tourism is the driver of the economy, the fact that a million people every day Contribute to the well. Uh, contribute to the to the G T is, is, is a formidable. Sum. And given
0: the fact that we have so much of what we all consume that has to be shipped here, the fact that that it's you know got fees tacked onto it because of you know it's coming into the harbor gets some fees tacked onto it there. That's getting passed on to the rest of us. So in in some cases, the case has been made that you're getting sort of you know taxed on tax on tax for the same goods.
1: You know some of the some of these more creative approaches to. Uh, uh, economic justice, the legislature has not been that interested in embracing. The classic one that I'll mention here is um, the earned income tax credit. I mean, there's a federal one, but a lot of states have one as well. And we tried. Um, And we've tried Mm -hmm. it various times. I'm sure there'll be a proposal this year, but I don't think it has much traction um, on Punchbowl Street. And I'm unsure why that is, to be perfectly honest. There's
2: been even – this is another example of how I talk about the legislature traditionally be democ- being democratic but not necessarily progressive. That's right. This has been an issue that's been around for a long time. Their approach to taxes is pretty much the kind of hardcore – right-of-center approach is, which is don't raise them and don't mess around with, the, with the, the system unless there's an absolutely compelling reason to do it. By the way, the earned income tax credit is one of the few things that conservatives and liberals tend to agree upon, and that one of the things that you may see uh, in Washington, an increase in that because of that kind of consensus.
0: All right. While we're talking about increases, let's talk about the minimum wage. That's back again, too.
2: Well, it's sort of bad. Yeah, well, uh, Daniela
1: uh, Ng has, from what I understand, proposed this 50, uh, increase to fifteen dollars in twenty nineteen. Um, but I, I don't think, again, that has much traction. I think the sense is we haven't fully implemented the last increase, and we'll talk about it later. Right, right, Neil.
2: Yes, I think that's right. He he proposed it in in part of a report that has a long list of things uh, regarding the the health and uh, of Native Hawaiians. And uh, reaction to the reaction legis- by the legislature yeah. was not exactly good. It was sort of C minus. We know all this stuff. Make some bills. But that's the only thing that I've heard about minimum wage this time. I think the likely view is to say we made the changes last time. And we have their the in place. Scale. Yeah, they're sliding scale. Although we talked yesterday about the fact we're our new minimum wage, considering about 19 states, changed the law the last few years we're relatively low in what our new minimum wage is. And if you consider the cost of living in there, then um, it's even lower.
0: All right, we're going to move on. Thanks, Nicole, for your call and your questions. Sabia calling us from Honolulu. Aloha, welcome to Town Square. Sabia, you there? Hello. Hello. Yes,
5: True. I'm here. Can you hear me? We can. Good. Uh, yeah, I used to work in social services.
0: We can't. We can't. Sabia, going through a tunnel. Are you going through a tunnel? We can't hear you. Yes. Sabia, it's just too hard to hear you. You have to call us back. We're going to move on to Zedric calling us from UH. Zedric, are you there? Hi there.
7: Oh hi. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm a student at UH Manoa, and I kind of just wanted to shed some light on the elderly care in our community.
0: On the what in our communities? I'm the elderly. The elderly, okay. Yeah, elderly care.
7: Because yeah, I was I was notified that we were gonna get a kapuna assistance bill going on. You know, nobody
0: has really heard a whole lot about. Well, there's there's a,
2: a long term care proposal. Yeah, that's but, different, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. The kapuna yeah, uh, assistance yeah. is that the bill didn't they didn't they pass tried, the bill? Yeah. Yeah, or they passed something where you the caregivers would have some kind of respite and maybe some kind of yeah, money. Yeah. yeah, that's
7: right. Yeah, I wanted to put yeah, some light on that because personally, well, I have an auntie that is a certified caregiver, and she takes care of my great-grandfather, but like she's like not getting paid for it. So I was really concerned about that.
0: A number of people are in her situation, and there will be a number more of them, and it's going to be something that we're going to have to confront sooner or later as you have people who are exiting the workforce to be able to take care of people who they love and otherwise who wouldn't be able to have that care and what happens to the caregivers' income and then to not perpetuate the whole cycle so that by the time they're older they don't have enough to be able to retire or: Are, are you care. referring to
2: anybody in this room? <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, it's a a significant problem. It's part of a bigger problem here that uh, there's a a great disparity between the needs of the elderly in regard to all kinds of housing and care at the end and what's being made available. uh, There basically is a kind of variation of the affordable housing problem for the elderly and particularly the frail elderly. Um, And that's going to be more serious here because demographically this place is getting older and uh, has a large group of people who are in their 80s. That, um,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, there's kind of a twin twin proposals. One, paid family leave, which would help people take time off to care for... For whatever people. reason. For whatever. Yes. Not for just for little reason. kids yeah, or babies,
0: no. but to be able to care for elderly people. Exactly. Too.
1: And then long-term care, which would allow you to dip into a fund, to basically, essentially to, to compensate yourself for taking time off of work. Um, it's Those are difficult proposals. I mean, they require... Probably increasing payroll taxes, not always a popular thing. And, and some of this stuff is difficult for a state as small as ours to take on. I mean, it would be better if there were federal leadership on these issues, but I, I am not optimistic pay, yeah, that paid there will be. Leave. You've yeah.
0: tried that, and we've, we've had lots of discussions about that for at least three years or so. And we haven't had a lot of movement on that. A lot of, you know, lip service, a lot of talk about it. But when it comes down to are you willing to put a couple bucks into the fund every time you, your paycheck comes around, that's a different story.
2: If you look at the number of people, the amount of money that most people have when they retire, uh, the difference between what that is and what they need as they get older and have to go into facilities is um, means that they'll be depending on the kindness of they'll be depending on the kindness of their families, or they're going to be in trouble. That's right,
1: and there are all of these consequences you might not necessarily anticipate as a result. I mean, this is one of the biggest reasons we see a big wage gap between men and women is that women often are tasked with taking care of an elderly relative. It means they have to take more time off work. Um, You know, they don't make promotions. And so when you really start to think through it, there's a lot of other problems uh, that aren't immediately obvious that are linked to this. Unfortunately, I, there might be a little movement on long-term care. I'm not convinced there's going to be much of anything on paid family leave this session.
0: All right. We're going to move on and go talk to Moa calling us from Hawaii Island. Aloha. Welcome to Town Square.
8: Aloha. I have a, um, and maybe this was already covered, but I have a kind of quick question, comment about the medical dispensary law. I um, have medical card and have um, severe rheumatoid arthritis. And I don't use it consistently, but now and then it, it definitely helps. The research certainly backs it up. Um, but uh, time I've been using um, a caregiver who's an organic person farmer, and I understand that the way the legislation's set up in another year I'm going to be forced to buy from one um, of one two dispensaries on this island. One dispensary is run by someone who knows nothing about organic farming, certainly knows a lot about pesticides, <laughs> you know Richard Haw. And the other one is I'm not convinced at all that they know much about it either and I know some of the principles involved. So I'm hoping that can change so that I can continue to use my caregiver so I know that when I'm taking medicine, I'm taking something that's good for my body and I'm not burdening it with chemicals or pesticides or you know, someone that doesn't know what to do about that. And I know the legislation won't allow people to, you know, label their dispensary goods as organic, but they shouldn't strip us of our rights to grow our own medicine or to be with caregivers who know what they're doing, and do it in a manner that's you know, good for the planet and good for the patient.
1: Well, you, I, Mo, I think your, your concern is shared by a lot of people. I was at the harm reduction conference uh, last week, and a lot of the people in the audience are worried about the, the issue of caregivers no longer um, under the legislation being able to um, to grow marijuana for, for other folks. You'd still be able to grow your own, but not for other people. Um, I think that the legislature right now is pretty sensitive to that issue. I expect that the time, that the phase-out time will be extended, possibly. Um, I would be surprised if it's continued indefinitely, though.
2: I think the the idea is I once— I should not
8: be forced to buy from Richard Ha, who doesn't know how to buy, you know, grow organically or anyone else. That's well, that, ridiculous. The, that
2: the, the purpose of the law is the, Yeah, the purpose yeah. of the law is to force you to buy— marijuana in exchange for getting it legally that's that's what the law does that law I made a choice now
8: under the existing law what it's forcing me to do is is buy from one or two big organizations sure. it's forcing people to per to frequent big business as opposed to you know getting it free from a caregiver it, it's then we know the quality of it it's just it's not run that way
2: in other states. No. All well, in others, the, the, most of the individuals states...
8: individuals on this island.
2: That's right. Most of the states that you're thinking of, I, I guess, uh, have a very different model. The model is that the market to, for whom can, who can sell marijuana is an open market. The, the The state doesn't control who can sell it. The state controls where you can use it and possibly sets up laboratories that... Tests it for various things like THC. I don't know about the organic stuff. I never really thought about that before.
8: It's critical because people who are in the know that have degenerative diseases don't want an extra chemical load. And a lot of us are cognizant that way. And we shouldn't be forced to use stuff that we know absolutely is not going to be healthy for. This is about big business. And right now, caregivers don't sell. I mean, caregivers are just supposed to take care of you. You know, maybe you can help them with the cost of you know, some of organic treatments, but it's not a, it's not that at all. It's a real neighborly thing, and to force us to have to now go give these two big people money when they don't even know how to grow grow well or grow in a manner that's healthy that that needs to be fixed. This is all about money. All right, Mo, I'm, I'm going to just stop you there
0: because we need to move on in just a second. Uh, but I'll have Colin give you just the the kind of the final word on some of well, this because we talked about this a, a very long time ago as this was moving through and people were also upset for the very same reasons that Moa just articulated.
1: The only thing I can say is that there's an, a number of people in the patient population have uh, the same complaint that Moa does. Um, it may be that the the uh, this the caregiver rule is is extended for a bit. Um, I am not optimistic though that that is going to to change entirely. I mean that is how the bill was written, um, but you know, this is a democracy. It's how, bills can always be rewritten. But for right now, that's that's what we have.
0: Which sort of leaves her a, a bit in a lurch.
1: It, it, it does, and, and that's all I can like say right, is to tell right, you the right. truth.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. All right, Moa, we wish you all the best. Going now to Jim, calling us from Kailua. Aloha, Jim, welcome to Town Square.
3: Aloha, Beth Ann. I have a question for your panel. Sure. I'm interested in the upcoming death and dying so-called Bill you must be sitting on my at. shoulders
0: because I was sitting here writing on my on my notes we need to get to death with dignity.
3: <laughs>
0: okay, so <laughs> let, right. let, let's talk about death that. Dignity. Uh, a and couple of people for
3: the listeners that don't know this is allowing and this is already passed in several states on the mainland allowing those with a terminal illness to take their own life through their own actions with medication. Without holding the medical and health professionals associated with the case liable in any way, if if and
0: they if, if, they're the terminal, if they're terminal if they're terminal and it, hang on a second if they're terminal and if it's you're talking about within a six month period, because That's right. that was a really crucial point. We did a whole show about death with dignity uh, last week, especially after the the lawsuit was announced. So if you missed any of that, you can also find that on the archive too. But as several lawmakers have talked about death with dignity, and at least our saying that it's on their radar. Colin, Neil?
2: Well, it's been on the radar for a few years here, and generally it has the same, not generally, it always has the same kind of pros and cons and pretty much the same. Yeah, but physical. now we have
0: Colorado, which we had. You well, know, the last you know, year. you have Colorado. Slowly.
2: That's not important. What you have is John Radcliffe. And the John Radcliffe, who was a very astute and successful lobbyist here, probably one of the, if you ask people to name the three most influential lobbyists in the state, he always gets there. And no wallflower is tragically has uh, terminal cancer. He's taken it upon himself as a lobbyist and as an individual to go forward and to be the public face on this. Now, you know, I've been around long enough to know that one person doesn't necessarily change things around. But the fact that he has political skills and he is who he is, and he's gotten an enormous amount of publicity, may have—I think—would have more effect than the fact that other states have done. I mean, Oregon's Oregon's had this for for years. I think Washington has it too. But you know, you have the same religious objections to it. You have the same objections from some people in the disabilities community. They've always been very success, uh, very
4: uh,
2: sensitive about these things because, frankly, they see it as a way to call people with disabilities. And they've, I mean, they've very radical disabilities organizations that are very much to the left on lots of issues. On this issue, come down with a lot of religious conservatives. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Well, when, when John was here last week, his point was we've heard from a very vocal minority about this, which is why he was pushing it with the lawsuit and and why the issue has, has surfaced again, plus the fact that Colorado also had its initiative passed last November and their point is that you know slowly as with what we saw happen with uh, you know gay marriage and, and other issues that the the tide is turning marijuana <laughs> that the tide is turning and that people are looking at this plus if you look at some of the Gallup polling that was recently done when you've got you know 80% 88% of those people who were polled voters who say I'd like to know that I had the option not that it's going to be forced sure. upon me but to be able to say I had the option uh, from the what we heard from the the compassion choices folks that was one of the highest that they've ever seen across the country 69% nationally who have said that that was a very important issue but on,
2: on moral issues it's the intense minority that mm-hmm. have a lot of effect Well I that's mean, the point you, the very vo- yeah. vocal minority Well if, that if we've you look at a, I mean abortion for years has been the most people think very differently from the activists who are either for either pro life or or pro choice and so I don't the fact that that's – I mean, this is a kind of argument that, that you make if you're a lobbyist and you try to do it. But I frankly think that the most important thing in this one is who's doing the – who's the public face.
1: I, I completely well, agree. We wouldn't be talking about this if it weren't for, uh, for John Radcliffe. I mean, the, the reception from the legislature, it seems to me, is that, that Suki seems a bit more optimistic. And uh, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, uh, Connie English, is sort of gave the, the response – you know, we we've seen this before, it hasn't passed. There's nothing really new here. Um, we're, we're not interested in making this a part of our our package. So I mean, moral issues like this are very hard to predict how they I think how they end up playing out. I think my my guess like Neil's is this isn't going to go anywhere. But with John Radcliffe involved, I mean there is robust public support. W- we'll see. I mean, and that this will may be, be the, the one wild to watch. Card this, this could time, be right? this, yeah, could this could, could be, be these line. are the sorts of bills that surprise you.
0: All right, let's move on. In the interest of time, we've got other callers who want to get in on this. Jim calling us from uh, the Alawi area.
7: Aloha, Jim. Aloha, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Hope you are, too. Good. Well, you guys are really well-versed in a lot of topics. I'm sitting here listening to the spread, and it's like, that's uh, pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we give ourselves a solid B+. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
7: Cliff's notes. You might notes. Be doing better than that. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I want to try to raise an issue I've never heard discussed around the heart, boondock, and that is an alternative um, or maybe an adjunct that could wind up lowering the average cost. So here's a quiz question for you. Have you guys ever heard of something called SkyTran?
2: SkyTran? No.
7: Uh, oh, the oh, like Wait,
2: that's is not – uh, I'm not even going to guess. Is,
0: is this from from
7: Vancouver area? No, it's actually started at the NASA Ames Research Lab. Oh, okay, so okay. okay. Uh, I'm thinking of something on, totally uh, different. Go technology ahead. technology called passive maglev, mm-hmm. so it's not the expensive superconducting – Mm-hmm. You can't put that anywhere in Maglev that everyone knows about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's a, it's a tested technology. It's not something pie in the sky. Uh, this company, unlike Hyperloop, which a lot of people have heard of, is geared for long range, super high speed, long haul travel. Skytran is similar in a lot of ways in that it's a, it's a Maglev system. In fact, Hyperloop has now adopted their technology because it's so energy efficient. Uh, it's a maglev system designed for anywhere from 5 miles an hour to 100 miles an hour short-haul travel. So, Jim, and, I, I want
0: to just stop you there just only in the interest of time, because it seems like you're yeah. asking the question, will we be willing to look at, at something else again, uh, even with new technology that, that could be better? Neil, Colin, uh, what do you think the odds are that, that even if there was something that better that came along now, given where we are with rail, are we really saying that's kind of too bad?
1: I think I think we're saying that's kind of too bad. I mean, this is what's already been sold to the federal government. It, the plans are drawn up. I mean, it was there's a criticism to be made, which is one of we should have been a lot more creative in how we designed this rail system. I mean, there possibly were better ways to do it with new technology and we kind of took a plan from the 70s and decided to to build that. But I'm not optimistic we're going to change anything.
0: All right. Anything else from Union? Okay, then we're going to move on. Calling, I'm going to go to Jim calling us from Iaea. Uh, we, we got lots of Jim. Three Jims. I'm sorry. Now John from Moiliili is on the line.
3: Hi, Bethan. Hey, thanks for taking my call. A really pleasure. enjoying the conversation. Good. I had a couple uh, two part question in regards to affordable housing. I'm uh, wondering if the panel would be able to shed some light if there's anything our state legislature can do to rein in the counties from circumventing the affordable housing requirements. And if uh, not, if there's anything that can be done to make adjustments to the affordable housing numbers, I'm um, not sure if I'm fully, correctly informed on this, but affordable housing for a while would be for a family making $100,000 a year or more. And I frankly know many families that don't cross that threshold. Um, any thoughts you folks? In and in helping inform me, I'd love it, and I can take my response off the air.
0: All right, Thank John. You. Thanks very much.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, again, another perennial issue. Who wants to take it on first? Well,
2: uh, the, just the general Real. point first. The state can always um, t- decide to do what the counties are doing to circumvent that because counties are creatures of the state, so they they can do it. They've always allowed the counties to do a lot of things, including this because, one, it's a tough issue to do, st- well, mainly because it's a tough issue to do statewide.
1: Neil? Uh, I mean, this... Oh, I'm
0: sorry, Colin. Um, <laughs> Neil just finished. All right.
1: This is, we're going to see proposals, I, I mean, I haven't heard of anything big in the works. This is, I mean, this happens every year. Affordable housing is the number one public policy challenge in the state. Uh, there's no easy solution aside from going to Singapore-style public housing blocks. Um, and I think you're going to see them continue to work on the margins, but I mean, w- when you have an issue that everyone agrees is so crucial, nearly everyone, um, even well into the upper middle class, here is affected by this, and there's no real s- answer. It's
2: because it's such a hard problem to solve, particularly at the state level, to be I, able
0: to get developers, especially to buy in. Well, That's because right.
2: the, and, and it isn't that developers are the villains here; they can't make. Any yeah, they got to make some money. They got to make some money. I think. This is going to be endemic to living in Hawaii. If you look at the amount of houses, affordable housing that we need compared to what's being made available, um, it's a problem that that I think people are going to have to learn to live with. I don't think it can get a little bit better on the margins that try to improve some of the public housing stuff. But there is no movement to build large-scale public housing, uh, which – and – Despite that's the push from change. the
0: governor, and, and we've, we've been talking about this. Well, about the I mean, of,
2: you're not, well, What's push from the governor. If you're talking about the amount of housing that's needed. Or
0: units per, per year but, or between. Well, uh, let do the
2: years. math. If you look at the units per year and, and the units per year is kind of costed out for a long period of time. Yeah, it that, would be that, amazing if we stay there. All know? right.
0: We'll see if we can squeak in one more call. Jan calling us from IA. Jan, we're coming down to the end. Can you be fast? I can. Thank you. <laughs>
5: Okay, um, are you ready? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm a caregiver, and I wanted to put in a plug for the caregiving bill. I'm not that familiar with what's in it right now, but I do have some, a lot of experience doing this, and so I, I wanted to say that I thought some of the important things that don't cost a lot of money would be, um, you know, classes for exercise and, um, you know, that sort of thing for seniors just to keep them healthy in the first place, so that the caregiving doesn't go beyond the home if you can help it um the other thing is you know to have conferences sponsor conferences about um discussion of resources what we have what we need in hawaii some of that some of that's that's already
0: some of that's already happening and and no doubt you're talking about having that networked a little better forgive me for having to go but we're coming up to the top of the hour and i just want to go right back to Neil and to Colin. We didn't talk about some of the other issues that were on our list. Everybody else had their list, too. That's good. But looking at stuff like, you know, what's going to happen with the privatization of the hospitals and, and the unions and, and arbitration. Anything very quickly you want to say on your Well, list?
1: unions and arbitration, I mean, we didn't talk about the governor's budget either. And I think one thing to watch for in this session is the legislature is going to poke him a little bit um, and partly to be testing, you know, his chances for reelection, but also, uh, you know, how much support he can get for his bills.
2: Well, I think that some of the things that don't get talked about, and we didn't talk about them, are are sort of lingering problems. Special funds, uh, the lack of monitoring and compliance, the state hospital's issue, and the governor's confidence that he'd be able to resolve it, which he hasn't.
0: All right. Well, we're going to just have to have another conversation at some time, which we probably will do in about, oh, maybe halfway through session. You'll have to come back, as you always do, and we'll take a look at really what we're looking at by that point. want to thank all of you for joining us tonight for Town Square. And just remember, tomorrow morning, the conversation is preempted because of inaugural activities that uh, you can listen to live with us from 5 o'clock in the morning. So I'll wish you a happy weekend. See you back here on Monday. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. Aloha.